Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey everyone, Patience here. Just checking in to let you know that this is part two of a two-part interview with the Honorable Ahmed Hussein and MP Marcy Ian, both seeking re-election in the upcoming federal election this September. Thank you always, always for listening, and we hope that you enjoy the remainder of our interview. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we are honored to have special guests, the Honorable Ahmed Hussein and Marcy Ian, both Liberal candidates seeking re-election on September 20th. So we're hearing you about, you know, mandatory minimums. We're hearing you about money flowing to some of our Black organizations across the country. But we want to pivot a little bit because our podcast really started by, by speaking specifically to a BIPOC millennial audience. Just this week, our trusted poll aggregator 338canada.com released polling suggesting that millennials and Gen Z voters, which... Uh, by the way, are the biggest voting bloc in the election this year at 40%, are mostly going to the New Democrats. The data shows that for only 18 to 34-year-olds, voting will look a bit like the following if an election were held today. So 37% for the New Democrats, 27% for the Liberals, 23% for the Conservatives, 5% Green, 4% Bloc, and 4% PPC. 4% for the racist. <laughs> I mean, I think we can make an argument that there's probably closer to 30% for the racist. <laughs> anyway, um, why do you think that that is? And how do you plan to change that, considering that it was your party that carried the youth vote in 2015? This is, again, a question for both of you. Patience and Curtis, it's a big reason why I ran mm-hmm. youth, young people. It's a huge reason. I was sitting there on, on a talk show talking about issues facing young people, talking about George Floyd and what that meant specifically to young people, because that's a lens that we didn't always look through the murder of George Floyd with. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw him lying there, saw his life snuffed out, saw him calling for his mother. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember being up a couple of nights with my daughter Blaze, who, who said, you know, what does this mean for us, mom? Yeah. What does it mean for our safety? What does it mean for our future if, if this can happen? Yeah. So I, I'm telling you, it's a huge reason why, why I ran. I said that to the prime minister when he called. Mm-hmm. Listen, I have to be me and young people are my focus. Right. And so during the by-election, I remember walking through St. Jamestown and I came upon this group, so interesting, a group of kids uh, boys 
that were talking and there was one gentleman that looked a little bit older and I thought, hmm, what's going on? So I, I went on over and I introduced myself and it was a youth worker and some young people. And he said that they were working on elevator pitches. So they were working wow. on, you know, job. I loved it. They were doing right. it outside. And basically each young person, each young man had to do an elevator pitch and then was rated by the others. <laughs> and so they were preparing for, you know, job interviews. That's what they were doing. And I said, I love this so much. And I also love their hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one of the guys, Marley, said to me, I've never seen anybody represent us that looks like you. Wow. I'm going to vote for you. Wow. And I and that that who never voted before. And he said, he said, you just you look like us. You sound like us. And that matters. Yeah. Because kids, when they see people representing, and when I was sworn in, I was the 100th woman sworn in, but the only black woman in the 43rd parliament. Mm. We're changing that, by the way, this time around. We've got 18 black candidates, which is the largest of any party. Including our friend Ariel Kayabaga. Including yes. the amazing Ariel. And it's just, it's amazing to see. But kids, you know, they want to be represented. They want to know that they're represented. And it's been a hard time. But I've talked to kids about, you know, doubling Canada students grants, waiving interest, mm -hmm. interest on student loans until 2023. I've got Ryerson in my riding. I've got George Brown in my riding. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about um, the environment. So many are interested in that and reconciliation and social justice. Right. Mm -hmm. You mentioned patients at the beginning of this podcast, Lalash, Saskatchewan, mm. and a school shooting that happened there almost six years ago. And I was a reporter at that time. And it's a fly-in community in Saskatchewan. It was a 17-year-old that walked into that school and ended up killing four people mm -hmm. and injuring seven others. And it was a story that I just couldn't get away from. And so, you know, you're not supposed to do it as a reporter but I reached out to that community hmm. and they are now family. Um, the prime minister uh, ended up getting involved uh, because I got in touch. They ended up meeting him, supports flowed to that community. Masaya Jury partners with me wow. um, on, on our Lalash initiative. We fly kids in every year. Um, they go to Ryerson, my alma mater, and they talk to Indigenous leaders there. They learn about post-secondary education and what's possible for them. They take in a couple Raptors games while they're here. But they have changed my life. They are family now. Mm -hmm. And when I had a constituent say to me, listen, Marcy, if we don't get reconciliation and social justice right, then nothing else matters. Facts. And I tend, I tend to agree. And this government, our government, you know, we've ended two thirds of the Bow Water Advisories on reserves. And that's mm -hmm. something, you know, we hear a lot about water and of course about, you know, the kids whose lives were taken. Um, but we need to also talk about what we have done. And it's where my heart is with the kids. Right, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about this. Mental health is another huge initiative yeah. uh, with regards to kids. We've got an organization in Regent Park called um, Healing is One and doing great work on, on that capacity with mental health and young people, but we need more. Mm -hmm. uh, I could go on and on about this, but bottom line is they need to see themselves and they are seeing themselves with the slate of candidates that we are running this time around and the people that have represented, you know, before me, before Ahmed. Indeed. 
Indeed. It's interesting to note, uh, as you pointed out, uh, the Liberal Party has, uh, I think, the most Black candidates, certainly that I've seen in quite some time. And every, I, I feel like the other parties are doing the same. So there, there definitely has been a springboard for us as Black people in the political process here in Canada. We'll see how that plays out come September 20th. Jumping to discussing our bank accounts, we're experiencing a high cost of living right across this country. For many, it's an outright affordability crisis. Seeing as affordability is a major issue in this election, it's fitting to talk about your housing plan that you released this week. So could you lay it out for us? Give us an example of how a couple renting a basement apartment making a combined after-tax income of $120,000 could take advantage of your rent-to-own scheme. And can you elaborate on how your party's housing bill of rights will help first-time owners as well as renters? Thank you. You know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll jump in on this one uh, if that's okay. I, I you, you know, you spoke about that couple that is renting, and uh, you know, the housing plan, the Liberal housing plan, is the most comprehensive housing plan of all the parties. It is the most ambitious. It's the most aggressive, and it is the one that actually covers all the different housing needs of Canadians across the housing spectrum because. Obviously, different Canadians have different housing needs based on their circumstances. And if you look at the other parties, they, they don't. It's not. It's not uh, um, uh, as comprehensive as the Liberal Party. You asked about rent to own. We are producing a plan that includes, for the first time, I believe, in Canadian history, a rent to own program where uh, it will allow. Uh, an individual or a couple that is renting a condo to work with their landlord so that in five years or less they can own that condo. And we'll be putting significant federal dollars to ensure that uh, we support that process. Hmm. They, that, that same couple could, could choose to move into a community where some of the homes have been set aside for rent to own. So again, we'll be working with the municipalities on this because part of the Liberal Housing Plan is to set aside even more significant amounts of money to incentivize municipalities and give them the tools that they need to build way more housing supply. Mm -hmm. As you know, a lot of the tools for addressing the housing affordability and housing supply challenges are in the hands of the federal government. But many of those tools are also uh, exclusively, some of the tools are also exclusively in the hands of uh, municipal governments. But there's obviously things that prevent uh, municipalities from moving ahead on this, fiscal challenges, there's nimbyism, there's, there's a number of things. So we will be incentivizing and moving forward on this. Uh, the, the, the big one is creating a first-time home buyer tax-free savings account where folks will be able to save up to $40,000 that will contribute to, to a down payment and, and, and pay that down payment faster. Uh, unused office buildings will be converted into housing. We will be building more housing than than all the other two parties. Uh, 1.4 million uh, new homes, providing um, a plan that actually provides uh, potential homeowners with more concrete rights. So introducing a bill of rights so people are not taken advantage of. We're the only political party that is putting forward a plan to ban blind bidding. So that uh, so that you know exactly uh, what the uh, what the bidding process is like, 
and we will establish your right as a potential homeowner to demand uh, and receive home inspections. People are now being pressured to waive home inspections and they come under pressure because they're afraid of losing the opportunity to get that, uh, to, to get that home. We will be uh, introducing an anti-flipping tax so that if, you're, if you flip your property too soon, then you will have to pay a price for that, which also encourages folks to rent out their properties, which provides more supply in the market and ensuring that banks and lenders offer mortgage deferrals for up to six months if you lose your job. Again, this is another measure to protect homeowners. And, and as I said, our plan is very, very comprehensive and progressive. The, the other parties, the NDP plan doesn't include elements that will really deal with the affordability. They talk about building 500,000 homes, but there's really no plan or roadmap to get there. We have an established a uh, plan that has actually worked. The national housing strategy has delivered um, housing solutions for Canadians across the spectrum of housing need. But of course, there's more work to be done. And if you look at budget 2021, uh, the national housing strategy, this is that was the fifth consecutive liberal budget mm-hmm. that increased uh, funding for affordable housing. We will also top up the national housing co-investment fund by billion so that we can repair and rejuvenate and build new affordable housing units. There's money for co-op housing. All of these measures, yes, they will help all Canadians, but we know that of all the the different uh, uh, racialized groups, Black Canadians, uh, if you look at StatsCan numbers, Black Canadians tend to have the lowest number uh, percentage of, of home ownership and access to affordable housing. So right. these measures will really, really help both folks uh, who are challenged with respect to affordable housing and housing affordability, which are two separate things that are sometimes confused. Uh, to, so, so we will do everything that we can to really tackle this issue. And our plan really addresses this. It's it's quite ambitious, but it's also comprehensive. And I, I want to emphasize this a number of times is that it covers everything from ending chronic homelessness, introducing a dedicated stream to tackle the repairs and and uh, and, and more affordable housing solutions, but also the affordability piece, rent to own, uh, and 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 supply, supply, yeah. supply, supply. Yeah, it's interesting. I do think that you are um, factual in what you just said in terms of looking at the. The different plans. The NDP seems to focus more on affordable housing, but there's nothing for, I mean, dare I say, those who may not necessarily need affordable housing, whereas the conservatives, uh, they only focus on those who have the money, quite frankly, and they only focus on expanding um, supply for most likely high value properties. So based on my observations, based on my analysis, the liberal plan does seem to be the most comprehensive, as you pointed out. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, shifting gears a little bit, but keeping on the subject of our bank accounts, the PBO or the Parliamentary Budget Office tells us that universal basic income would cost us $76 billion. No chump change to be sure. But the PBO also assumes that uh, universal basic income would replace $33 billion in federal spending already in place to help low-income people, therefore bringing the net cost of implementing the program down significantly to $43 billion. Further, we can't underestimate the savings in healthcare that a universal basic income would produce. Elaine Power, a public health professor at Queen's, notes that a basic income could save your government up to $20 billion in healthcare costs directly attributable to poverty. A new landmark study by the Canadian Centre for Economic Analysis, or CANSIA, gives us a first ever look at the economic impacts of a national basic income in this country. Basic income can be good for the economy, for business, and for Canadians, and of course, families. We know it would cut poverty in half, and we know it would create 600,000 full-time equivalent jobs within five years and 900,000 jobs in 25 years. So why won't your government implement a universal basic income? Listen, uh, before the pandemic, Curtis, our government had the backs of the most vulnerable in our communities. What this pandemic did is it laid bare who was suffering, who was suffering, who was falling through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And we came through with the Canada Child Benefit that Ahmed talked about earlier, uh, CERB, OAS increases. It has always been our approach. It has always been the way that we do things, that we give more money to the people who need it most. And I have to say, being in Parliament, I, I was a newbie there. And we had, you know, our colleagues on the other side screaming about, you know, spending too much, you're doing too much. And time and time again, we said we will do whatever it takes. And we have. So even, even you know, increasing the guaranteed income support to better support seniors. So from young people um, to older people, you know, right across the board, I've talked with so many, as I said, business owners in my riding who said they simply would not have made it if not for our support. So want to note, mm -hmm. want to note that uh, at our convention that I co-hosted, our liberal convention, mm -hmm. the membership of our entire party voted in favor of this. They yeah, voted in favor 76%. of a basic income, right? Yep, Policy. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I am confident that it is something that we will continue to thoroughly explore. Thoroughly. Ahmed, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, the only thing I'd say is, you know, it's very, it was very, very sad to see the Ontario Conservatives cancel the pilot program on universal basic income in Ontario. Very, very sad. And everyone, the federal government, uh, stakeholders, everyone was looking for the results of that pilot because that data would have been very rich data and would have informed governments on the, that approach. And people urged 
the Ontario Conservatives to at least let the pilot run its course and let's get the data. And they, they killed it before we were able to get that data. Uh, so it's unfortunate. It's a very intriguing idea. I know that the PM has um, been approached about this by PEI. PEI, Prince Edward Island, um, is is moving ahead on this, and, and, mm-hmm. and so is, to a certain extent, British Columbia. So I, I see our party as looking at the results of those two approaches uh, and learning from, from and, and supporting them to mm-hmm. a certain extent with our administrative support uh, through ESD, ESDC and other uh, institutional support to allow them to embark on that and to see what the results will be. Uh, and I, I hope that will inform uh, our approach moving forward. So uh, I'm, I'm optimistic in terms of uh, those experiments. And as I said, the data is what is needed to, to lead us and, 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 and follow the evidence. Mm-hmm. I'm optimistic as well about uh, the liberal base being very, uh, very interested in UBI. So hopefully with time, right? With time. So between 2001 and 2016, the share of adults aged 20 to 34 who were living with at least one of their parents increased with each census. So it was 30.6% in, 20, in 2001, 33.1% in 2006, uh, stayed around that for 2011 and rose again to 34.7 in 2016. Over that same period, the, the share of all young adults living with their own families, so their their spouse and, and their children, decreased from about a half at 49.1% to 41.9%. What what I'm trying to to say here is that to put it simply, millennials and Gen Zs do not feel like they can afford to have their own families. So Ahmed Marcy, three months ago, I became a mom. And Ahmed, you are the semi-architect of the beautiful, beautiful childcare plan that's being adopted province by province after province. And currently, there are some leaders who don't quite see the beauty of your government's plan to implement a national $10 a day childcare system that would lower childcare costs dramatically for young families like my own. And those leaders happen to be in Ontario and Alberta, much too much. And at the federal level. Yeah, right. So uh, Ahmed, I, I would love for you to lay out what's at stake with this plan and how it, it would and could benefit a Black single mom or dad if enacted in Ontario. I really, really appreciate your focus on this question because um, you asked what's at stake. What's at stake is the future of our country. What kind of Canada do we want to emerge out of COVID? Um, are we serious about making sure that every child from coast to coast to coast, regardless of uh, their household income, regardless of their background, regardless of their ability, um, is able to receive an early learning and childcare, high quality early learning and childcare that's accessible, inclusive, affordable, uh, and 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 gives them that best possible start in life, that's what's at stake. What's also at stake is, are we serious in our country to close the gap between men and women participating in the labor market? Yep. Are we serious about growing our economy? Those, you know, early learning and childcare investments have been proven to be uh, the proverbial trifecta, the, the hat trick. It's yep. good for working moms, it's good for kids, and it's good for our economy. 
the fact that the Liberal Party in government has signed agreements with seven provinces and one territory, that includes Liberal provinces, Conservative provinces, NDP provinces. This is something that everyone understands is important. And you know, the difference between now and previous calls for uh, an affordable childcare program is that this time, because of COVID, you see new voices calling for this. CEO, bank presidents, CEOs, heads of business groups and chambers of commerce are saying we need affordable childcare because they understand that not only is this a smart social policy, it's a very smart and much needed economic policy. Mm -hmm. Now, what is the Liberal plan going to do? And this is not a theory, as I said. It's already live in eight provinces and territories. (laughs) The Liberal plan will cut childcare fees in half by next year and will move towards $10 a day after that. Mm -hmm. In, in, In some of the agreements that we've signed, we will cut fees in half by next year together with those provinces. And in, as I said, in, in some of those agreements, we will get to $10 a day by 2023. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is happening. Now, it's unfortunate that a minority of the provinces have been signed on, Ontario, Alberta, and New Brunswick, and the two, the two remaining territories. But I have, I'm very optimistic that a re-elected Liberal government will resume those negotiations and I am very optimistic that our home province of Ontario will sign on. This is extremely crucial to low-income yes. families, to racialized uh, kids. Yep. They don't, you know, they're disproportionately left out from accessing high-quality, affordable childcare, and this is huge. You know, six to seven percent, six to seven percent of we- less women participate in the labor market yep. than men. Well, guess what? Affordable childcare will close that gap, literally. Um, it, affordable childcare system will contribute tens of billions of dollars into our GDP every year. Uh, provincial governments, as well as the federal government, will receive more revenue, tax revenue from more women joining the workforce. Mm-hmm. When Quebec introduced an affordable childcare system, $10 a day childcare system in 1997, they went from one of the lowest provinces of having women's participation in the market to one of, to one of the top jurisdictions in the entire world wow. for uh, women's participation in the labor market. And their economy improved as a result. You know, so I can't believe that the conservatives federally are saying that not only will they not move forward to implement $10 a day with the remaining provinces, Mm -hmm. they will actually go backwards and cancel the agreements that we've already signed with British Columbia, with Manitoba, with Saskatchewan, with Nova Scotia, and PEI, and Newfoundland, and and the Yukon. So it is a shame that that's happening, but obviously we hope uh, that uh, we are re-elected so that we can continue. And this is particularly important, I think, for low-income families and those kids. And and this is, by the way, the, the last thing I'll say about this is our plan includes all children. Right. Mm-hmm. There's particular emphasis on children with disabilities. There's particular emphasis on accommodations and investments on uh, racialized kids, including black Canadian kids. And in fact, it mentions that in the policy. 
And finally, there is a set aside, a significant amount of money for an indigenous early learning and childcare program nationally co-developed with indigenous organizations, governments, and communities. Wow. So this is, this is incredible, and we are getting the job done, but unfortunately, uh, the conservatives are threatening to take us back, and we simply, those families can't afford to do that. Those kids can't afford to, for them to do that, and our economy will suffer as a result. Absolutely. If I could just add a couple of things. First of all, patience. Congratulations. And did you have a boy or girl? Congratulations. I had a boy in May. Yes. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> What's his name? You. His name is Oche. I'm, I'm, I'm from Nigeria, so I wanted to give him, you know, a really Nigerian Indeed. name. So it, it translates to king. <laughs> oh, love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I had a, a young man come up to me. Um, this was just uh, last week in Regent Park. And he said, you guys have to win. You have to win. He said, this childcare plan is amazing. And he told me that he and his partner already have their baby on a wait list for childcare because yeah. the wait lists are that long. So they yes. already have the baby's name down. Yep. But because the median range in Toronto for childcare per month is about $2,000, yes. it's high. It is so hard for young families to do this. He said, this would be a game changer. It would allow my partner to work, yes. to continue in the field that she loves. It would, it would help us, you know, pay for maybe a down payment for our first home, yes. you know, maybe get our child one day into extracurriculars, the mm -hmm. classes that low-income families, you know, usually can't afford mm -hmm. because everything is going to childcare and food and shelter. There isn't much room for anything else. So that in itself is huge. And just speaking as a mom of two kids, you know, I, I have to say it's not been easy sometimes. It really hasn't. Childcare is a huge and has been a huge part of the budget. And it's, you know, we may not do this because we've got to do this. And, and that's what it comes down to. I am raising two kids without a partner. And it is not always easy to get all of the things done. Yep. So when I look at this plan that would cut childcare in half and then would lead to $10 a day childcare, it is a game changer, Absolutely. not just for no me question. as a mom, but for so many other people that I've talked to. I, I just want to add to, you know, a lot of people are obviously enticed and excited about the $10, but the plan is way bigger than that. Yes, $10 is a huge thing. I mean, I... I knocked on the door of uh, a family a couple of days ago who pay $97 a day for their daughter to go to childcare. And they said that th it's a second mortgage. They're paying a second Absolutely. mortgage. Absolutely, yeah. And they're really, yeah. you know, finding it hard to make ends meet, even though they're a, a middle-class family. The fact of the matter is this. Beyond the $10, we will be investing in creating hundreds of thousands of new yep. affordable childcare spaces. Because there's no point in reducing yeah. fees if you can't get access to the spaces. You I, have, just, I have conservatives. <laughs> there you go. And uh, in, on top of that, we will also be hiring, recruiting and retaining and training and incentivizing and raising the salaries of early childhood educators. So all our, our the agreements that the Liberal Party in government has signed with provinces and territories includes that aspect 
of mm. incentivizing, hiring, retaining, and increasing the salaries of early childhood educators because they are at the heart of the system. And then finally, putting the investments in place for accommodating, accommodating kids with disabilities, racialized kids, kids in, in, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So this is, this is a really well thought out plan. It is a plan that uh, will deliver results. And, you know, when you see different parties diff in different provinces sign on to this, you know, Saskatchewan and Manitoba are conservative provinces who we don't see eye to eye on, on a number of yeah. issues, but right. they were smart enough to sign on to this system because they know economically they need to do so. It's good. Mm -hmm. As I said, it's good for kids. It's good yeah. for working moms, but it's also good for the economy. Indeed. And as I said, it's a, it's a beautiful plan <laughs> for for someone who, <laughs> for someone who just had a baby. It's it's a beautiful plan. Unfortunately, I live in Ontario, so we'll talk about that another day. Um, <laughs> so this has been such a meaty meaty interview, and we're we're so thankful that you could join us, Ahmed and, and Marcy, to talk about some of your party's plans this election. We wish you every every success. I, for one, I stay rooting for everybody Black, particularly Black folks running in the progressive parties. We know that you're creating space for the needs of Black Canadians to be understood, and we're so happy to have folks like you two at the table. We really hope that you'll be able to join us back on The Drip sometime soon. Absolutely. We would love to do that. Look at me saying we. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking for all of us. This was great. <laughs> It was very good to have you. And uh, again, we, you know, September 20th is around the corner. We wish you the very best. Well, you just listened to episode 66 of The Trip. Thanks to you, our listeners, for continuing to rock with us. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis to cover Election 44, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip TO. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your podcasts. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.